welcome to another episode of the Imprint Companion, hosted by me, Alexi Chaliopoulos, and co-hosted by you, Blake Howard. Hello. How you doing, baby? Oh, baby, I'm so good to talk to you again. We've just had a great chat all about Barfly, Frank Stallone, mm -hmm. Josu Uzala, oh. and a little bit of Zhang Yimao. It is a great September batch, and we are not done with the batch yet. We have got one more title that we wanted to highlight, uh, which is a William Friedkin joint called Blue Chips. Friedkin is a shared favorite of you and I, one Absolutely. of our favorite directors that ever lived, The Exorcist, The French Connection, Sorcerer. One of the all-timers. All and this was one I'd never seen before. It is a sports drama starring the great Nick Nolte and the great Shaquille O'Neal, two titans of their field, <laughs> and their field is acting. Um, I was very excited to check this one out. I really... i got to tell you this. I love Shaquille O'Neal in this movie. He's I great. He's great in this mm -hmm. movie. I'd never seen it before. This is one you talk about, like, uh, DVD... Uh, covers or VHS covers in mm -hmm. your video store days, like the classics. Yes. I know my brother had a VHS of Blue Chips and I never watched mm. it. Like I didn't have any concept of what it was. I was like, as all, I think all people on earth were a fan of the Chicago Bulls and a fan of Shaq and yep. a fan of basketball and like that of peak course. NBA era. Um, but I never, I never got around to watching this. Uh, so I was a bit sort of, it was always a bit of a, you know, a curiosity. Maybe I'll check it out. Very excited to learn, like, recently going down a more, like, f as I'm getting older and being a, more of a cinephile, I'm like, oh, this is a freaking joint. Like, I can't believe yeah, that this is crazy, this. right? It's really crazy. Um, but after watching it, Nolte's doing Nolte. JT Walsh is mm. doing JT Walsh. And just, oh, oh, and, yes. and just laying it up there for old Shaq. And Shaq, including, like, there's others, Penny Hardaway, Larry Bird. There's other mm -hmm. familiar NBA faces in there from the 90s. Um, but a really actually quite fascinating look into what I guess, Lex, I don't know if you've had this same concept as well, because we're in Australia, but like I've always thought that college sports, like I've never really understood it. This movie kind of gives I don't you a great, get it. I, I don't, don't it. know what it is. Yes. I, so it, one thing that this Blu-ray has, which we'll, we'll, we'll I'll quickly touch on is mm -hmm. a little documentary called we don't buy athletes, illegal recruiting and the NCAA. The NCAA is the governing body of all amateur athletes who play collegiate sports in America. Yeah. And um, Ben Strauss is the co-author of a famous book about it. He's actually at the Washington Post now as a sports writer. And what it mm. taught me about this was just like, I'd only ever heard, maybe it's like movies, silly jokes, et cetera, of like, people being lured to play for certain colleges because they can't pay them a salary like you would be in the NBA or if you know if you're a rugby mm. if you're a rugby league fan in Australia you know you lure a great player over with a huge contract they have to lure them with like their education and all these under the table things and there'd been a lot of scandals that had happened in the late 80s and this movie really like sapped them um, for all they were worth yeah. so um, it was just really fascinating to kind of get a, a bit of a sense of like how this whole system works. And I actually think I understood it. Like, not that it was like eating your vegetables, mm. like doing homework. It was actually very entertaining, yeah. but I kind of like, oh, I, I actually get it now. I get it. Mm. I love that documentary. I'd also say in the film too, 
of things I'd love to highlight before we get into the bulk of this episode, just something we're very excited about. Um, Alfred Woodard, one of my favorite actors of all time. So good. Never gives a bad performance. Fantastic in this movie. And one of my personal heroes is on the soundtrack, Niall Rogers of Chic. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite musicians ever in history. One of the best movie producer uh, one of the best music producers ever and there's only a few movie he's has provided the soundtrack for so that was kind of what i was most looking forward to it and yeah it slaps dude cool <laughs> movie but blake the bulk of this episode is a chat that we're very excited about uh we got the chance to feature on this podcast the commentator of this movie, and no, I'm not talking about sports commentators. <laughs> I'm talking about Blu-ray, DVD, commentary tracks. We've got one of the best film critics in the world right now, Ilga Abiri, who is now a writer for New York Magazine and Vulture, and he's also speaking, again, in that upper echelon of movie geeks. He wrote mm -hmm. an 80-page yes. novella mm -hmm. about the game on an Arrow Blu-ray release, yeah. which you cannot get anywhere in the world, and I know that you've got it by that look on your face. Do you have that look? Mm -hmm. You do have it, you bastard. Mm -hmm. I've been looking mm -hmm. for that thing on eBay. Ah, oh, God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lex, that's a yeah, smug so I'm man. quite the collector. <laughs> I'm quite the collector, Blake. Oh. Um, but I, I'm such a big fan of Bilgo. It's so cool that he's on this podcast chatting about this film. Why don't we get into it? You've won two national championships. Right. This is two more than most coaches dream of. We could never prove anything against the football team. Hey, Charlie, we gotta keep digging. It's all right here. Neon, um, please try not step on the children. Okay, all right. I'll give them our offense, I'll give them our defense. Because it's not what you do, goddammit, it's how you do it. No! Hit him! Hit him! Folks. Of course, you know, my friend, if you've listened to anything we've done on One Heat Minute Productions, but if you are new to him on Imprint Films, it's one of the world's great film critics, one of the best chroniclers of our masters, a dear friend, and uh, he's calling me from his basement uh, uh, in New York City, in Brooklyn, where I've actually had the luxury of staying, uh, which is uh, which is awesome. My great friend, Bilga Abiri, is here with me. Bilga, thank you so much for coming to chat on the Imprint Companion. We've talked on almost every other show. I know. One this, is, this is the one I haven't done. <laughs> it's the one you haven't done. But this one's awesome because this was such a shock and surprise to me. The great folk at Imprint Films uh, – uh, I mean, we're very close with them. We've worked with them. Alexi and I have been lucky enough to do our own commentary track on the Renton's uh, Twilight film, which is amazing. Um, but I was so pleased and thrilled that I, I didn't even know that you were doing anything like this for Imprint. And I saw your name on an announcement. I was like, oh, my God, they got Bilga. This is great. And for this 1994 Bill Friedkin joint 
blue chips. And now people don't know this about you, but you are a tragic NBA fan and, and, and and, a tragic NBA fan. One that hurts very frequently with your own Brooklyn Nets and their much, much uh, struggles. So I'm so excited because as soon as I saw it, I was like, not only do I know that this is Bilger wanting to talk about Friedkin, but I know that it's him exercising this hidden part of himself. Uh, if people don't know about him, if they only look at his writing, they don't know any of his, uh, him as an individual or someone who tweets about Brooklyn Nets all the time. So uh, it, tell, tell it's me funny. about it's, it's funny. The, the, my, my, my Brooklyn Nets tweets get so much less play than my, than my, I think all of Nets Twitter has me muted at this point or blocked. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So tell me about blue chips. Cause like in Australia, just I think by virtue of the fact that our population is much smaller and, and our and our uh, like college slash university sports is not a feeder in any way to our professional sports. So we have like rugby league here in Australia and there is a bit of a, a pathway, um, you know, from school teams and things like that when you play rugby league in Australia, because that's probably our biggest sport uh, in our, you know, in our most populated states. And so there is some kind of like, if you play well in high school, that'll put you in the chance to get cited by a club or something like that. But blue chips really of its time and kind of throw back to about five years earlier, I guess in the 1980s, there were a lot of college scandals because the NCAA had had this rule, this hard and fast rule for a very long time about the amateur athletes would not make money. They would be educated for free, but they would not make money from their role on any sporting team, whether that's basketball or NFL. And yet colleges make, uh, have a license to print money for these college sports. And so this comes at a time where this happens. Freaking, uh, he's at a strange nexus in his career, which I want to talk to you about, but it also has just a phenomenal cast. If you say JT Walsh is going to be a bad guy in a movie, I'm so in forgetting everyone else. Then we've got Shaq. Then we've got Nolte. Then you've got Mary McDonald, Ed O'Neill. It's, it's a huge cast. It's a really terrific flick. It was one of the first times I'd ever seen it. So I want to talk to you about like, where this was, you know, was this a movie that you're familiar with a lot? Was it something special to you at the time? And 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 did it actually resonate? Did it have some sort of cross-cultural cut-through at the time? Because that's what I'm really fascinated about. Yeah, I, I've loved Blue Chips uh, since it came out. I was actually a big fan of it when it when it opened. And, you know, Friedkin was a filmmaker that I had been interested in. And, you know, at that point, I mean, Blue Chips comes out, I think, 94, is it? Um, yeah, ninety four. Yep. Yeah, ninety four. So I'm 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 still in college then, um, but you know, Friedkin is a guy I'm I'm fascinated by, and I'm also fascinated by like, you know, he's one of these guys like Coppola who was just like completely on top of the world and then seemingly fell off a cliff, uh, and then you go back and you watch some of the stuff that that sent them off the cliff and you're like well this stuff is great <laughs> you know like what the <laughs> hell's going on, um, so you're always waiting for these guys to get like another shot at a big movie and blue chips was kind of you know a shot for him uh and it did you know it did well it 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 it, i can't say it resurrected his career but after that he got kind of bigger movies and of course and i i got into this i think in my in my commentary but you know this also coincided with him marrying sherry lansing who was head of production at paramount (laughs) um and she has always said that you know she recuses herself from any decision involving him. But the fact is, you know, the, the guy the guy was married to the boss's wife. You know, like maybe maybe others might decide to give him a shot. But good good for them because he's you know I, I think actually he was 
a perfect choice for blue chips. You know, he himself is a huge basketball fan. And in fact, in the late seventies um, or early eighties, I can't remember when exactly, but, but actually um, contemplated buying the Boston Celtics uh, because he was really? friends with the owner. He was friends with the owner who, and the Celtics were going through kind of a, a rough patch. And the owner was just like, I am sick and tired of being booed every night. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Do you want the team? Like, he, you know, and, and basically it was, you know, Freakin would have basically been a minority owner, but he would have had the power to, like he would have been basically the owner who makes decision, personnel decisions and stuff like that. And, um, and he talked to, you know, he talked to, I think, a financial advisor or a lawyer who was just like, don't do this. This is crazy. You will lose all your money. Uh, and of course, and then the Celtics got Larry Bird and they became proceeded to become one of the biggest teams on the planet. So he actually, um, you know, probably should have taken the offer. But, um, <laughs> well, I'm glad he cast Bird, at least in yeah, Blue Chips. He gets to have a little oh, yeah. bit of that, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, and he casts, um, you know, Bob Cousy, who's, uh, who's a friend of his and I believe, you know, kind of a Celtics legend and um you know I mean the film is filled with uh basketball cameos from the world of college and pro um obviously Shaquille O'Neal and Anthony Hardaway uh playing the you know two of the two of the three big players in the film um they are Sha Shaq was already a star at that point I mean he had just entered the league but you know he came with a lot of hoopla Anthony Hardaway actually they met on the set of Blue Chips or they they met while working on Blue Chips and Anthony or Penny Hardaway uh, as we knew him uh he actually went into the draft the NBA draft after that and uh the legend has it and I, I you know I, I think it's factual because Shaquille O'Neal has has told the story and Penny Hardaway has told the story is that Shaq actually told the Orlando Magic who was his team saying I want this kid Penny, you know, he's really good. And so the Orlando magic actually had the number one pick in the draft that year. They couldn't pick Penny Hardaway with the number one pick. They picked Chris Weber, but then immediately did a draft night trade um, to get Penny Hardaway. Um, and rumor, rumor is that Shaq was the one who made that happen. And then those two uh, were completely dominant for like, a couple of years <laughs> they, they yeah. never actually won a championship uh it was it's it was a period when in in the nba it seemed like the nba was actually rigging everything to try and <laughs> make the orlando magic who were kind of a new team a, a, a fancy team they you know i mean they had magic in their name everybody was into like the magic kingdom disney and wizards and all this shit um so it seemed <laughs> like it actually seemed because because then you know a couple of years later the washington bullets who were my team at the time, they changed their name to the Washington Wizards, which was like, oh, come on. What is everybody going to be named after some like magical <laughs> thing? Um, but it seemed like a, it was like this annoying little mainstreaming trend at the time. Um, That's an so annoying thing in Australian sport is that not many of our teams are actually named after Australian animals. So oh, okay. we've got we've got like the West Tigers. I'm like, there's no. There's no, no tigers, tigers in Australia. Like, there's no tigers. That's there's not so a mountain lion. It's so annoying. And, you know, the, even when we've been talking about this, there's been some emergence of some new teams in the league and things like that. And a couple of people are like, let's call them the Brisbane Browns because we have brown snakes. And I'm like, that's a great name. That's a great look. Or like the Redbacks or something like that. So some of our teams, the lower tier sporting teams have adopted like those things. But it's like, that's a that's an irk for sports fans out there. I'm like, none of these animals fucking are here. It's dumb. Like, can we well, please just name them animals that exist in this country, for God's sake? There's enough. Right. 
it's so i mean that, that kind of stuff winds up being so silly because in the in the u.s we have all these teams that started in different states and then moved but kept their like team name and yeah. it, like so you have the utah jazz they used to be the new orleans jazz which made perfect <laughs> sense utah is like literally the last place in the world you want to go for jazz you know like if you're looking for jazz and you're in utah you're lost. Um, but they're the Utah Jazz. They've been the Utah Jazz for years, you know. And it's funny because, like, actually, the, the reason the Washington Bullets changed their name to the Washington Wizards, they used to be the Baltimore Bullets because Baltimore, if I remember correctly, had like like an in heavy industry making bullets. Um, it was a kind of a thing, and you know, bullets, whatever. And then they moved to Washington. Um, and then in the 80s, Washington is like the most you know dangerous city in America. There's people <laughs> getting shot left and right. And people were just like, we should change the name of our basketball team. <laughs> um, now, admittedly, if it had been in Baltimore, they would have had to change it as well because you know, they had a crime problem there. Body, too, but... Baltimore, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, it's Baltimore is a lovely city. I, I, I actually just visited again a couple of months ago. It's like, if you always feel bad when the cities get these kinds of reputations because like that's the news that pops. You know, no, nobody, you know, no, no national news network is going to carry the fact, hey, there's a, there's a, there's a great art exhibit in Baltimore right now, you know, <laughs> all they're going to carry is like, oh, two people were shot in Baltimore. So that's all you hear. And then you go to Baltimore and it's like, holy shit, this, like, you're like, oh, right, this is where Marnie is set, you know, like, this, this is like one of the most picturesque cities in the country. Um, anyway, that's, we're on a tangent now, but um <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, so I remember, so I, I, you know, my love affair with the NBA is kind of, you know, it waxes and wanes. Um, so I, I'm not quite a fair weather fan because sometimes I'll get interested in a team, in one of my teams, like right when they're in terrible shape. Um, but uh, I do go through periods when it's just like, I, I, I'm just less interested in it. And, but the 90s sort of, the 90s were the period when I was probably really like most interested in. I think, I think a lot of, internationally internationally yeah. i mean there wasn't there wasn't a kid that i grew up with in the 90s who did not even who wasn't aware of the chicago bulls like jo oh, the, yeah. the jordan era that era um you know leading from you know the magic and bird era into the jordan era and like you couldn't spit in australia in 93 without having some like without having some kind of uh kid walking around with a Chicago Bulls hat or a Chicago Bulls shirt or knowing about NBA, it, like 90s peak NBA. And it feels like even the fashion, it's 2022 and people are still walking around with Chicago Bulls paraphernalia. And I'm like, are you really a Chicago Bulls fan or is this a nostalgia kick? Like, I always wonder oh, yeah. that. Oh, I mean, then the Air Jordans. I mean, my son still wears Air Jordans, you know? Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, no, and, and that's absolutely my story too, because... I was not a big basketball fan. I mean, I enjoyed playing. I, I can't really play basketball, but I enjoyed trying to play basketball. <laughs> um, but, um, but you know, it was Jordan that got me into, like I was, I remember I, was, I happened to watch a playoff game with him uh, and, and it was just like the most incredible thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait, okay, I need to watch this. I mean, I knew of Jordan. I remember yes. people talking about him. Um, but you know, I wasn't a big sports guy, and or I was, I was, you know, Turkish soccer was like the thing I, I didn't watch it because I, I was in the U.S. You couldn't <laughs> see it, but you know, I followed it. Um, and suddenly, uh, you know, just seeing Jordan out there was just—I mean, it was just like a life-changing experience. Yeah. Um, 
And so, yeah, I was I was a Chicago Bulls fan in so far. I was a Washington Bullets fan because that was my hometown team. But I was a Chicago Bulls fan because like How you know, you of the pay? teams that actually met, there was, was the, the Bullets weren't going to do anything. <laughs> like I, I was shocked to see them ever have to even play Jordan. It seemed like they were in a completely <laughs> different division, you know, it's a completely different league. Um, but um, but so it coincided with that. But that's that's how so many people got into basketball. I mean, that's the thing. It's. It's weird because I still feel like a Johnny come lately to basketball because I, I came with Jordan and so many of my friends were into it at the time. But I mean, it was like <laughs> so long ago, like I'm a total old head when it comes to <laughs> basketball. Cause I'm like talking about, you know, Penny Jordan Hardaway and Shaq. Johnny, <laughs> Penny Hardaway and like people are like, who, who the hell is Penny Hardaway? You know? Um, I mean, he's a college coach now, so people do know him, but, but you know, they're not like, I mean, Obviously, the big ones people know. Um, and the Last Dance documentary uh, a yeah. couple of years ago did a lot to remind people of of just how crazy that period of the NBA was. But Blue Chips comes, you know, around the time. I, I think I also mentioned this in my um, in my commentary that you know there are a whole bunch of basketball related movies opening around this time, uh, and and for a few years after as well, um, and and. Blue Chips, even though it's not an NBA movie, it's obviously about college. Um, you know, like I, I, I love the what I love about the film is that it's trying to wrestle with this like really serious issue of college athletics. It's coming at it very much from the perspective of the culture at the time, which was paying athletes is 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 bad, right? Yes. Not not paying not paying them, but like paying them under the table. This is corruption. These are bribes. This is this is morally wrong um and that's the sort of that's the thing that this that this coach you know that pete the coach played by nick nolte is is wrestling with um and he keeps saying oh we want to i run a clean program i run a clean program but the film is also aware that because people were becoming aware at the time that's like wait there's something fundamentally like screwed about this whole situation where you've got these kids Many of whom are are are, are black, are are you know are are working class from working class families, and they can't make any money doing this thing that is bringing this organization, Millions. the NCAA, and these coaches and all these people. I mean, it, people are making so much money off this thing. Um, you know, in the U.S., we just had a um, we're in the midst of a. It's it's not really a, we're always in the midst of a a million huge scandals but there's this other there's this little scandal happening scandal isn't the word probably but um tommy tuberville who's a you know one of these horrible republican senators uh, i mean and and one of allegedly one of the dumbest people in the world who of course <laughs> managed to get himself elected senator a couple of years ago um and he uh is um he's a former college football coach right um and and he just gave a speech at I don't know if it was at a Trump rally or at his own rally, but one of these you know one of these rallies. Um, and he gave a speech talking about how uh, talking about reparations, but but you know he basically said you know you know they want reparations. They think that the people who who did the crimes should be should be should be paid or something something along those lines. Those were kind of the the words he used, which was like you know just. I mean, conflating like multiple things into one, one basic, you know, message, which is that, you know, blacks commit crimes and they want reparations 
because of the crime. I mean, it's just like so completely done to up on, yeah, on, yeah. on every single level. On, on every level. The, the kind of thing said by, you know, the dumbest person in the Senate <laughs> by all accounts. Um, but Tommy Tuberville is obviously, you know, former football coach, very well known, used the celebrity of his of his name to basically I mean, he had zero background in politics. Basically, people voted for him because they're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's coach, you that's know, a football coach. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, people are like, you know, here's a guy who had like, you know, black players playing for him for years for free. Um, and he basically made his name off, you know, the work of those of those kids. Um, and made and, his uh, wealth and made his reputation and made all his those wealth, made his reputation and not, you know, like some of those kids went on to play football, but most of them didn't. The, the majority you know, like, don't. Yeah, the majority yeah. don't. And it, some of them probably have concussions and things like that. I mean, it's like the, some of them will be scarred for life, I mean, which is a whole other conversation. But, you know, it's just like everybody's so angry about this understandably which is like oh come on man like fuck you <laughs> like you know <laughs> that, yeah that's... you're dumb you're a right winger but you of all people should have some perspective on this you know and that's the thing that got me in blue chips it's that it's a topical film obviously it's well acted it's terrifically well made very well edited as well i must say um the editor who actually talks on the blu-ray um this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Robert Lambert was someone who worked or started working as like an assistant and I think ended up editing um, a big chunk of Sorcerer with Billy Friedkin mm. before he came back and he has a great little doco on the special features here. But the one thing that I love is all great villains you can empathize with. And JT Walsh to convince Nolte to make the call in this movie to actually go under the table basically says the argument the argument that everyone has been yeah. saying now, he like adopts an argument that we would say, which is it's their money. Everyone's making money. Like these are these yeah. players we're banking on. They're blue chip stocks. Hence the name of the movie. They're blue chip players. They're a stock that we're putting money in there. We're investing in. And ultimately he's like, it's their money. We're making money off of them. It's their money. We're giving them just the tiniest slice. And that argument Ultimately, obviously, it's a moral quandary for Nolte because it's it's breaking the rules and he's he's a sort of um, a moral character in this movie even though he makes immoral decisions. But that's that scene in the car and JT Walsh's smiling face is happy. He's there. It's like, yeah, he's right. The villain is absolutely right. He's yeah. 100% right in that moment. What? It's, it's Thanos. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the Thanos. Thanos gonna, yeah. It's the Thanos. It's the Killmonger. Like he's right. He's hundred percent right. It's yeah. these kids. What we're giving his mama house. So what? We're gonna make millions of dollars off of this kid in advertisements, in jerseys, in this, in that. And well, oh, his dad wants a tractor. So what? He wants a car. So what? All these guys have money. Like they're all yeah. making money hand over fist for this. And and the film is actually you know goes out of its way i mean there's a tension at the heart of the movie right because it's trying to be a very kind of big bold primary color blockbuster with like good guys and bad guys and clear moral stakes right um but 
at the same time, it it's like tackling this issue that is so complicated and, yeah. and thorny and, and filled with like booby traps, you know, moral booby traps. Um, and and it it but it like embraces that. Like it, it embraces that complexity. It's not a movie that I would watch and, and describe to anyone as complex, but it's all there. Like it's all there. It is totally aware of the fact that these are all really complicated issues and, and it and it makes sure to sort of address them. And for example, I mean, yeah, so they bribe these people and and what do they get? I mean, the house that uh Alfred Woodard, um, yeah. you know, Butch's mom gets, you know, it's just a nice little suburban house. Like most of the people who watch this movie in theaters probably have a house like that. It's like yeah. like that's the thing. It's like you know, the film shows us the neighborhood that they come from, which is, you know, in terrible shape. She doesn't want like a mansion and, you know, oh. a, a Rolls Royce. She just wants like a nice house and a, nice and a job. job. A and nice a job. house and, and a totally job. she's qualified for it. And a job <laughs> that she's qualified for. Like, that's the thing. She makes the point. Like, you know, I can do this job. You know, and that that look on her face when she sees her office, you know, it's like a nice corner office. But like the look on her face is not, it's not the face of like a scheming villain, you know? No. Um, and then the, the, you know, the, the, the dad that wants a tractor, you know, like, of course he should have a tractor. He has a small farm. He's like, he's like struggling. I mean, so much so that they actually put in that scene, which seems very blunt and it is kind of blunt. And I think they almost have to put in that scene later where, um, uh, what's, what's the, uh, what's the other kid's name? Um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, the uh the, the the white player um oh um oh my god i've forgotten it too hold on i'm gonna, I'm gonna... I, I have it written down i, I want to say ricky roma but it's not yeah, ricky roma yeah, it's it, it's it's like ricky roma though it's yeah yeah um but um it is ricky uh i know, I know it's ricky um but uh ricky Rowe. ricky Rowe. Rowe. Yeah. yeah ricky Rowe. go ahead um but no, but that they have to have that scene where he actually goes in and bluntly asks her, like, "Okay, I want, you know, uh, yeah, I, I want, I want all this money. I want it in a gym bag. Like, like, please, let's do the really like sinister bribing thing so that we actually can clarify the moral stakes here because <laughs> we sort of need to move on to the third act of the movie, you know. Um, and I think that that's, uh, you know, like, but it's fun to watch the movie wrestle with this because it is trying to be, you know, like. A Hollywood entertainment, um, but it it knows too much. Yes. <laughs> the movie knows too much. It was written by Ron Shelton, who obviously you know like is steeped in sports, so you know he he knows everything that's going on that he has to deal with in the movie. And he, the, the fact that they've cast like real college players, like they know what's going on too. Um, and what's what's great is, and this is something that I've found is very Friedkin. The Exorcist could not have clearer moral stakes. Good, evil. But there's a scene in The Exorcist that gets me to this, and it actually got me the first time I watched it in a cinema, is when the, I guess, the chorus of medical professionals are trying to figure out what's happening to Regan. Um, that thing is a very incisive look at just trying to medicate away problems that they don't have the answers for. Let's just medicate the living daylights out of it without actually yeah. scrutinizing or interrogating the real course of the problem. And I just remember that scene of these doctors just going, oh, let's just medicate it with Adderall. It's ADD. It's this, and that. And it's like, this is actually a problem now. 
where like someone says something and they're like, oh, just medicate. It's like, what? Actually, sorry, we're not. We're not. We're talking about. We're not talking about correlate. We're talking about correlation. We're talking about causation. What's causing it? Is there something? Is there? You know, and they're like, oh, just it's correlated. You know, like just give them Adderall. That'll that'll do. That that'll be what it is. And in a movie that cannot, you know, it's so tightly edited and is just so, you know, you know, propulsive the whole way through. Um, I just remember that scene sticking out and that's what this is. It's like, it, it's got these big chunks, but it has to, it, it knows how to play as a movie. It understands the stakes. But yeah. I, I think about that scene all the time. Cause I'm like, that is actually a big theme in this movie that when you interrogate it further, that's what enriches it later. Whereas you can look yeah. at the good and evil and the, the actual exorcism pit, but those other bits where people just ignore problems because it's easier to medicate them away. I'm like, yeah, that's a real, that's a real theme. That's a real yeah. theme that they were engaging with. And they knew that they couldn't spend too much time on it to waste people's time. So they just have it there and it's there if you want it. And that's what I love about blue chips. It's got some of yeah. the, that depth. Well, he's, you know, he's a hell of a filmmaker. I mean, the thing is, you know, Friedkin is, is a guy who's, he he knows how to like he knows how to put it together like he knows yes. how he knows like b needs to come after a and c needs to come after b and d needs to come after c and like he understands just the you know intuitively i think he just understands how to tell a story and and how to make something cinematic and exciting and gripping even if it doesn't always work like not all of his films work obviously um but in that sense he's such a he's a great studio filmmaker but but he's also like you know, he's kind of voracious in like making sure that he sort of has everything. I mean, he's a he's a great studio filmmaker who I think really wants to be a a, a great a, a great artist and has occasionally been that. I mean, you you watch a film like The Exorcist, obviously, or French Connection or To Live and Die in L.A. Um, but like so he, ha you know, he sometimes bites off a little more than he can chew in that sense. But that's actually like what makes his movies interesting sometimes, you know, like Sorcerer is a film that like it's, it's almost like, you know, and I haven't seen Sorcerer in a long time. But but the thing that I remember about Sorcerer is like he he wants to make a movie that like is actually going to be thought of almost as like an, you know, like a great work of art. Yes, but the, the, the motherfucker can't help make like just a fucking great trucks, trucks and bombs movie. You know, like like you, you know, like like you know that like he has these like I don't want to call them pretensions because like I said he achieves it. Uh, very often he achieves it, but but he has this. He he wants his movie. Like he wants to elevate the movies, yeah. and he often does. But the fact is, at the heart of it, he's still just a great visceral filmmaker who just understands how to shoot a scene, how to how to tell a story, um, and and which is why you know I think Blue Chips was was really good for him because it kind of brought him back into the Hollywood fold. And uh, you know there were other movies he made after that that weren't as good, but um, but you know. In the end, they were I all still, still have such like, a. I still have such a fondness for Killer Joe. Oh, Killer Joe's yeah. No, Kill, the, the films Joe. that he sort of made. Rules of engagement. Rules with, of engagement is still pretty terrific as well in two thousand. Yeah, rules of engagement, but it, but that's another movie kind of like Blue Chips in that it's he's like trying to tell like a propulsive story, but it's like he's tackled just like this <laughs> like this totally mind subject, and and he understands you know like he brings all these things in like you said it's there if you want to see it but like he also has this very clear-minded i gotta tell this exciting story because this thing is going to go out in 2500 theaters and people need to watch it you know yeah um that's you know and, and in that sense it's, he's almost an old hollywood filmmaker you know um and uh 
And yeah, I, you know, that that's, again, I mean, I, I watched Blue Chips when I first saw it. And then over the years, I would watch Blue Chips again. And it was really, critics hated this thing. I mean, for years, I could not find another person who liked Blue Chips. And then it slowly kind of gained gained an appreciation. So now, so much so that now people will talk about it as, you know, being one of the great, you know, great sports movies when I'm like, where, where the hell were all you people <laughs> back in 94? I, 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 was, I was here on the island in 94, but, but also... <laughs> Nolte's very good. And Nolte's Shaq great. is Shaq is terrific. Like the terrific. He he like I'd always heard I'd never heard much of Blue Chips. And it was like my brother owned the VHS because I think he was a bit he's a eight years older than me. So he was uh -huh. a little more taken with basketball and those things. Sure. And we'd had friends and cousins who were very obsessed with basketball. So he had it. And I remember it being around and I'd never watched it because obviously it, it wasn't something that like I was like college, but I don't understand like being from Australia, I'm like, I don't understand what that means. Like, I know it's got Shaq in it, and yeah. but I, I don't know what it means. And seeing other Shaq movies, you know, superhero movies and the other sort of garbage that he, you know, peddled in in the 90s, I was like, eh, okay, whatever, late 90s. Um, but he's terrific in Blue Chips. I was he's completely blown away. I was like, he's great. He's he's doing exactly the job he needs to do. Friedkin's giving him a platform. He's, he's just alley-ooping him on a platform of like getting all these beats. He's smart. He's funny. He's got a little quirk of like, this is culturally, you know, insensitive. And yeah. I'm like, this is a great character. How could you not like it? And like, there are so many bad sporting people performances in movies. And this is terrific. He's playing himself uh, and, and he's great at it. I mean, that, that scene, that scene where he stands up in class and this is culturally insensitive and, you know, like. <laughs> And, and a culturally biased, I think. Um, and and then you know he has this back and forth with the English teacher, and, and, and you know, and the English teacher is like, well, it's it's English literature, like I can't, you know, um, yeah. but you know, again, yeah, again, it's like that's actually like a huge thing that was happening at the time. Like people think that that's that kind of conversation has only happened in the last few years. No, this was a huge deal in the eighties and nineties. Like it was, I went to college at the time. You know, this was like a thing that everybody was always talking about. You know dead white males like why are we reading dead white males like that was a thing back then um and uh you know and, and it's a scene that like is 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 very funny it's very charming and Shaq's charm carries the whole thing through like his charm actually allows the complexity to live without it becoming Boring. a thing where like yeah with, without you having to walk away from the scene feeling like somebody somebody was wronged or somebody and the, and the, or, like, and the professor great. just going did you read the course description he goes no and then he points at his mate yeah. he's like you told yeah. me to do this class. yeah you told me to do you know but <laughs> like he says it with a smile and everybody yeah, laughs and he's laughing everybody's laughing and it's just like all right that's it end of scene we're at a, we're kind of at an impasse but we sort of understand that this is this is the world we're living in and it's actually it's like you can walk away from that you know you know, juggling all these ideas in your head, you can feel for the teacher, you can feel for him, you can feel for his friend, and you can also admit admit that it's kind of a funny situation. Um, it's, it's so good. Yeah. It's he's, yeah, he's really he's really charming, and it's funny because he, you know, he's actually a very charming TV announcer. You know, he he does um he does uh the halftime show and stuff um here on TV. He came he's to Australia, Bilga, uh, for a visit. I don't know. It was like an NBA break holiday. He came sure, out here yeah. and they brought out Shaq and his entire team. And he was, he literally could have been elected our prime minister. Like he could have taken <sighs> over the country. Like everyone was so enamored with his charm, his smarts, his sincerity. 
And, you know, he was on like every TV show, every celebrity in the country, the prime minister included, Anthony <laughs> Albanese. Like everyone had a photo with Shaq. Everyone was excited to go to a Shaq party, a party where Shaq's DJing. Shaq's up there wearing a sass, you know, so you may know this because of Russell Crowe, but like Russell Crowe had an ownership with the South Sydney Rabbitohs, who's like a big uh -huh. sporting franchise in Australia. And Shaq's up there wearing our indigenous, because every one of our um, uh, uh, sporting teams in the NRL has an indigenous jersey. So there's an indigenous round to support our First Nations people every year. Mm -hmm. And he's got an indigenous South Sydney Rabbitohs Shaq size singlet and he's DJing. <laughs> and like my buddy's Stu, you know, like Stu Coot's like, dude, this guy could take over this country. Like we could just <laughs> abandon being part of the Commonwealth and be part of the Shaq and wealth. Like, and I'm like, <laughs> true. Like he could take the whole country. And that's now in 2022, just an amazing human so yeah. great and um and you know it, it's it's so funny that even to this day he's like a force of he's still a force of nature like he's yeah. still like that you don't make them he's like in that echelon of sportsman who is like most famous person in the world can walk into a country any time of their life and people just like gobsmacked yeah. just yeah and he you know and then that's the thing is like when he's allowed to be himself or at least play a, a version of himself he's great but you know they tried to retro, you know retrofit him into all these kind of superhero parts and stuff like that and and, and you know and, and you know I mean some of these films actually probably have a lot of nostalgia value for people now but um, but he was in a lot of just junk yeah um, and you know I mean he was also in like a couple of Adam <laughs> Sandler movies where he was yeah and, uh, I well mean, like uh, I mean he's in Kazam and Steel which are just yeah. just awful. Awful. Yeah. And like actually seeing him in recent Hustle, which is another very, very good basketball yeah. movie. That's yeah. great. Uh, he, when, when he's around and he's, he, he can be himself, that's terrific. Um, yeah. uh, but, but when, when he's, you know, and Adam Sandler's just hiring him because Sandler oh, loves yeah. NBA. So he, sure, he's sure. just getting an opportunity to do it, but this is actually a performance. Yeah. It, he doesn't it, have, he doesn't have range. And he doesn't need to have range. He's Shaquille O'Neal. You know, he doesn't. Even, he didn't really even have range on the basketball court. You know, he does. He did like two or three things really well, better than anybody had ever done them. You know, and um, and unstoppably, like people unstoppably, had yeah. pe People would plan. They go. Oh, he's going to do that thing that he does, and everyone's like, "Yeah, he is." Yeah. And and are we going to stop it? Nope. Do you yeah. have any hope of stopping it if he if he gets the ball? Nope. He's going to just do that thing. He's going to dominate everyone around him. That's you know that's what he says. I'm not the greatest ever. I'm the most dominant player ever. And you're like, okay, that's a very he, fair assessment of yourself. Oh, absolutely. And and he was, um, you know, I never saw him play live, but a friend of mine did. A friend, a friend of mine who's like a total basketball head, um, college NBA. You know, you know, he was the guy I would go to if I had any ever had any questions. And he saw Shaq play uh, live once. He came back and he said, he said. I've never seen anything like this. He said, he said, he, this is how he described Shaq. He said, it's almost like there was this planet full of giants and <laughs> there was a, you know, and there was a ship that came to the U that, that came, you know, to, to planet earth. Um, and, 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 one of the the baby giants got stranded <laughs> you know and is now playing basketball like he said because he said he's like he's enormous but he's like perfectly proportioned like it's cuz a lot of a lot of a lot of the really big players you know you like yeah i mean they're, they're, i mean they're all incredible looking people but but you know but they don't like they actually when you're super tall you don't look necessarily proportional to sort of average quote unquote average person 
But like Shaq, he said, just looks like just an average person, just a gigantic, a gigantic (laughs) person, someone who's just been, you know, you you're you're zooming him up. Yeah, like like you zoomed in, you know, you zoomed in, or like you know, uh, maximize percent. Yeah, hundred fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. It's just it. He said he said he's never. I mean, then this like I said, this is a guy who went to tons of games. He was just like, I've never seen anything like this. Um, So funny. Yeah. Well. Look, thank you. I, I mean, I, I'm mindful that I'm taking up your time, but look, thank you so much for coming on to chat about Blue Chips. Thanks for coming on the Imprint Companion. Um, we love talking about physical media. If folks are out there, this is a banger of a batch. Um, Lex and I talked about it in our last episode that you guys would have listened to, which covered, firstly, Akira Kurosawa's Dezu Azala, which is really hard to get a hold of, now yeah. exists in physical media. Amazing film. Absolutely huge discovery. Barfly, which is not only great, but it is hilarious. So super funny, terrific box. You got to get it if you're a Bukowski head or a bit of a beatnik yourself at heart. Also has The Road Home, which is Zangi Mao, which is a beautiful, achingly romantic film and blue chip. So if you if you do have the coin, um, it's a batch that's probably worth it, most certainly. But if you're a basketball fan, sports movie fan, don't sleep on blue chips. Billy Friedkin, Shaq, been great. Um, Bilga, thank you so much, man, for taking the time to chat to me. This has been super fun because I we have never talked this much about sports ever. Yeah. And we, <laughs> and we, we haven't even talked about the, the, the Brooklyn Nets and all their Australian <laughs> players. I know. Right? We haven't. Patty. Patty Mills. We have Patty. Versus... We, have, we have Ben Simmons. And but, we have, you know, Kyrie Irving is, you know, born in Australia. Could have played for the Australian national could team have, if he wanted to. Could have. Did not. Did not. not chose not that, cho- that became chosen. our problem <laughs> <laughs> all right well look thank you man it's so great to talk to you as always and uh, i hope that um i hope that imprint uh like they've done with alexi and i uh, find some other great project for you to to chat on and we can make another excuse to talk about physical yeah. media and uh, see what digressions that take us down yeah this was this was the first uh, this was my first commentary track so it was a lot of fun to do amazing amazing and was it, uh, did you find it weird? Was it hard? Because I know like you and I can talk effortlessly, but I remember the first time I did a comms track, I did it for the parallax view for imprint films, which is wow. not only the most terrifying prospects, <laughs> but to talk about a film that so many amazing critical minds have had to tackle, but also one of my favorite films from one of my favorite mm-hmm. filmmakers. And I remember just being completely intimidated. So yeah, it is, it's a strange thing. It, it, it is, it is not easy i mean it was it was actually really hard because yeah like i, I for, at first i thought oh commentary track i talk you know I, I i get on podcasts and talk for two and a half hours about movies of course i can do this and then you're like oh wait like there's nobody there asking me questions and it's like scene specific and then also it's like going on the thing so you don't want to just like talk out your ass it's like you actually want to make sure that any observation you make is correct yes <laughs> yeah yeah, oh, yeah it's actually correct really really hard um but you know super rewarding and a great muscle i think as a critic to to ever get the chance it's so awesome that i own your first one i have it here it's going prior to place on my imprint shelf but excited and look maybe in the future this is what i said lexi and i did a commentary did a commentary track together and that was so fun because you could just hand the baton 
oh, yeah. between one another. So you know what, Bill? Maybe there's a chance we Let's could do, do one it. together. We should do Let's one do together. It. We Let's uh, do it. We'll be talking three hours after the commentary. Oh, yeah, I know. Over. I was going to say, it has to be like uh, the Irishman or something. <laughs> <Yes>. like... <laughs> something that goes for hours and hours. Yeah. But no, it's it's super fun. Um, I really enjoyed your commentary. And uh, if folks want to get your hands on it, go do that. Bilger is wonderful. Um, but, you know, I think um, if they ever decide to port over you know, any Michael Mann films, you know, the Bilgers, Bilgers an essential. Maybe we can try and get that 35, 35 mil print of The Last of the Mohicans on a maybe ultra high definition, something, oh, yeah. if there's a release. Let's, we'll keep talking. Um, thank you, man. It's great to talk to you as always. You're the best and I will talk to you soon, I'm sure. What I, want. I need some money, honey. I need some money so bad. All of my bills behind. I need some money right now I know your love is so good, baby I need some money Oh, yeah What I want I need some money I need some money With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.